Welcome to One Sweet Dream, a podcast where we explore the dream that was and is the Beatles. To One Sweet Dream. I am your host, Diana Erickson, and today we are doing a new episode of Hidden Gems and Unsung Masterpieces. And my guests are the whole team of Screw It. We're just going to talk about the Beatles podcast. So, welcome, everyone. Hey, thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Well, thank you for being here. Do you mind introducing yourselves for everybody listening? Uh, I'm yes. Will Hines. I, uh, I'm one of the people from the screw. We're just going to talk about the Beatles podcast. Uh, I'm Joel Spence. Same. Um, I'm Katie Platner. I'm also on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Brett Morris. We're um, grateful to be thought of as people who are worthy of being invited on podcasts. Absolutely you are. Yeah. You know, actually, you're super fun for me to have on my podcast because we were just talking about when you started your mm -hmm. podcast, it must have coincided with a renewed interest in the Beatles or something, because it was when I was re-engaging with them at that mm. time. It was, uh, yeah, it was just after the 2016 election and my friends were talking about politics so much and I was yeah. weary of it. And so the title, screw it, we're just going to talk about the Beatles, although this is never spelled out and it doesn't matter if people know it, was me saying, all right, look, we're, I'm not going to talk about anything serious. We're just going to talk about the Beatles and just and just feel good. So that that's what spurred me starting this podcast. Yeah. But I wonder, I feel like it goes in cycles, you know, like yeah. the Beatles, oh, it does. I mean, they're always huge, but even within relative to their ubiquitous presence in our culture, they do kind of renew every now and then I feel like, and a whole new group gets into them and they sort of become newly cool. Like there'll be a while where I just don't hear them. And then all of a sudden I'm seeing Beatles t-shirts like on the streets being worn by like 16 year olds. And I'm like, well, I yeah. guess they're in the zeitgeist somehow. I sometimes wonder if we're just at the mercy now at the mercy of what Apple releases, Apple core Beatles releases that determines when they're in the news uh and like when a they're Giles not martin remix comes out and that gets <laughs> yeah. a bunch of coverage or something yeah, they're in the zeitgeist again yeah or paul know. talks about them all jerking off maybe paul appears on snl or something and that does kind of 
that's enough to like push things up or whatever. Yeah, we talked um before about for I guess my age group are a little younger that like you know the anthology coming out in the 90s kind of like reintroduced a group mm, to it mm. or I'm I'm of the age that my parents taught me about the Beatles and so some of it I don't know I I feel like at least for me personally I do go through kind of waves of being more into it like I never feel like I'm not into the Beatles but I feel like I go through cycles where for a week that's just all I listen to even though I've heard it all a thousand uh, times and listeners then should should know that all of us were introduced to the Beatles by our parents not <laughs> none of us lived through it <laughs> no, I'm, sorry I didn't mean to imply that I'm 40 years younger than everybody. <laughs> I think you're right, Katie. Like the anthology yeah. was definitely like a milestone. Like there are a lot of people whose gateway into the Beatles was the anthology or watching it with their parents or something like that. Like, I think there's a whole generation of fans that are basically like Beatles anthology babies. Like, so. Yes, yes, for sure. And I think you're right that there are, I bet you there'll be a new wave from Get Back. You know, there's oh, just bet. like some big thing that triggers a new group of people to fall in love with the Beatles. But I think that what you said, Will, is really interesting because actually it was the same for me that I was listening to so many political podcasts, Yeah, you know, that I just couldn't couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And, you know, the Beatles always seem to come into the zeitgeist when we need a little healing, too. So maybe that's it, you know? Yeah. And and I really enjoyed it. Like, I would laugh. I loved hearing about the Beatles. I would laugh at you guys. I found that I just loved you talking about them. Like, oh, when you guys got away from the facts, because, you know... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we, you know, ha- we but- have gotten better for tr- truly like i mean we've always been fast and loose with being accurate not on purpose just out of yeah, laziness yeah, yeah, yeah. and lack of preparedness not a lack of love but doing the podcast taught at least me like yeah. a lot more than i used to know i mean thank god we brought uh, uh brett and joel on i do feel like katie and i are more likely to not know some trivia information Oh, I'm the uh, least likely of all of us by far. There's not, like... not, that, not that Brett and Joel are infallible, but they definitely increased our uh, integrity in terms of just actually knowing things. Yeah, um, well, there's that. But then there is also, I like it when you guys would just wing it and talk about your your opinions too. Yeah. You know, and that's that was what made it really fresh. You know, sometimes when you get in the Beatles world, it brings all that baggage, mm-hmm. you know, like if you listen, I, I'm not referring to any other podcast, but just like even books, sometimes they come with all of these tropes and truths yes. about and baggage of the Beatles. Well, I and really I felt- love, yeah, I love your podcast for just counteracting, giving a new narrative of existing yeah. facts being like, well, we actually don't connect the dots in the way that people tend to connect them. And I like having a new way to tell the story. But if there's any contribution our podcast has given, and that is unlikely, but if there is any, it's that I wanted to capture the fun of like being at a party and you run into someone who likes the Beatles and you just both can't stop talking about it. And you're like, oh, did you ever listen to this? And, oh, you know, you know, whatever's going on in the in Beatledom at the time, have you watched Get Back or did you listen to the new White Album or just do you like the White Album? It doesn't even have to be any kind of revolutionary take, but the kind of excitement of finding someone else who likes it. That's what I was I was more interested in that than yeah. winning. I, 
I did a I did a quiz last week on Sporkle where you have to type every Beatles track if you can just type all of the songs. I don't know why. I was doing that. I was like, I'm gonna nail this. And I missed four, and one of them was Mr. Moonlight. I was looking at Beatles for sale. I was like, what track am I missing here? What is this? And my mind had erased Mr. Moonlight from my wow. memory. Yeah. I bring it up every podcast. I cause because I love myself and I have allowed myself to forget that song. That's why. That's fine. <laughs> And also just letting people like it with or without knowledge. I mean, I love a good Beatles trivia talk. I love hearing yeah. deep, deep cut stories. I love that too. But I don't want someone to feel like they have to earn the right to be excited about the band. Like yeah. if you love the song yesterday and you think it's beautiful, you're a Beatles fan. Like you don't, you don't need to, you don't need to be able to have a bibliography of facts. Although I'm not against that either. If, if you are the kind of Beatles nerd who like has cross-referenced a bunch of biographies and, that's interesting to me too. So I'm into enthusiasm, whatever package it arrives in. Well, yeah, I think your podcast delivered on that. It did. It, it made it fun. Sometimes with the Beatles, it can be not fun. You know, there's there's so much competition. Everybody's got their, yeah. you know, their Beatle. And I mean, on my podcast, I do challenge the dominant narrative. No, I love it. I guess, I, you guys have such so many primary sources that you cite. It's I, I love it. It's super exciting. Yeah. When I started um, to dig in to the Beatles again, there just happened to be a lot more resources. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden there were some big collectors that were sharing stuff online mm -hmm. and just, you know, all these little interviews and, and YouTube and print articles that people were sharing that I think even authors hadn't had access to and and once we had all of this it was like you could start to tell a different story my pitch for an episode for you diana is to do one where you give a like curriculum of things that people should read like you know uh, the maureen cleave interviews yep. or, or whatever it is you would you oh, know, yeah. the, if you think the hunter davies biography oh, or, definitely okay so whatever whatever your picks would be i think that'd be really interesting because i'm actually i'm actually sort of inconsistent in what i've read like i've I've kind of just read whatever books have come out while I yeah. was in one of my Beatles flow times. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've watched the Beatles cartoons. The Beatles cartoon is my main source of Beatles information. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's mostly what I'm getting <laughs> my info from. Yeah. I, I learned everything from a couple of lunchboxes. So. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that would be great. Um, the problem is I don't like most books, but I think that you could that's actually- a, That's exactly right. I want whatever few things have passed muster for you, I want that yeah, list. Yeah. I think that would be cool. Okay. Well, the Cleve interviews for sure, because okay. that's what I'm doing right now. I am literally having them read to you, so you don't even need to read them. I've got two more coming out in the next couple of weeks. Great. And uh, Duncan Driver just reads it at the end. So, I love but it. yeah, those are amazing. And Hunter Davies must be read because the thing about Hunter that's interesting is the Beatles gave- those interviews before the breakup. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they weren't trying to so, spin. They weren't trying to spin that yet. That wasn't even on their brain. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. For that reason, it's incredible. Yeah. Okay. I've had a few requests for that. So I yeah. will uh, do that in the future. So thank you. All right. You. My work here is done. So I'll see you guys later. Um, <laughs> I got my. Wait. Actually, while we're on the subject of spin and debunking narratives, any thoughts on Get Back? Did it change any of your points of view on that period? No, I think it just provided evidence that we sort of knew was there. There's so much about the differences between them. This is me personally. Others mm -hmm. might have a different opinion. Um, that, like, if, for example, in the anthology CDs, anytime there was banter between, or you heard them just chatting with each other or uh, talking in the studio, that was 
that was sometimes more music to my ears than um, the, you know, take number five of um, No Reply. Um, that they, the, the reason why we keep going back to them as a source that we, the reason why we keep talking about them is how much love they put into this world yeah. with, um, and, and a little ambition too. I, I not, um, I wouldn't shake my, shake a stick. Of, I don't know what the term is. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's important too, that they, they, yeah. th their ambition, their love for each other, even yeah. though they probably didn't spend a lot of time as men don't do like communicating this love <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. but uh they had a great time together and there was a reason why um they, they were a success and so seeing evidence of that beyond just the songs and seeing particularly the get back sessions which is have only been depicted as a, a hurricane um to see that even uh, even a, a wonderful storm of them just getting along and making doing the thing that they do that that we love so much is just um it's it's a better it's i'm glad it's out there for the world to see i guess that's how i would yeah i I, I, like I love that for for me i i mean i loved watching it and i agree with you joel i think a lot of what appealed to me about the beatles even when i was a kid was yeah that you can hear that they're having fun together or they're being silly so yeah. on anthology but even in like hey bulldog or whatever mm -hmm. you know they're doing funny voices and i think yeah you can hear how much they all did want to be there uh mm -hmm. and then i remember because we for the podcast watched um the original edit of let, let it, it be. be uh the movie and i remember being like i guess they're disagreeing but it like really nobody was screaming at each other yeah. it felt very overhyped the the drama of it and then I did feel like it was so fun in Get Back just being like, well, yeah, they're annoyed. Like, they're in this stupid space. No one's leaving them alone. <laughs> like, I did feel like more just comparing it to the original cut of the movie. I was like, hmm. oh, of course they were frustrated at the situation. Like, it just yeah, seemed yeah, yeah. very normal. And, like, they were my cool friends that I was hanging out with. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so we have a giant list, and I must say that your lists of songs, like the way that you took the brief and dealt with the brief was very funny to me, actually, because, you know, the Hidden Gems thing was my idea. I basically wanted people to come on and champion any song that they loved. You know, there's so many great songs, especially solo Beatles songs that people don't talk about. And I was going to call this uh, songs we should be talking about more, but, you know, then... I thought I'll just call it hidden gems and unsung masterpieces because there really are. There's gems and then there's little masterpieces. So you guys were quite funny in how some of you took it very seriously and chose the most unsung possible songs that you can imagine. And then we also have probably one of the world's biggest hits on yes. this list. So you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> we have yeah, first, the full uh, range. Will at first picked the two second gap of silence, uh, you know, in between certain tracks, which I thought was really yeah. Overboard. Between there's a place and a twist and shout. I, the yeah. gap in between those two songs was my first unsung. What song. a breath! What a breath! And you claimed the mono was even better. The mono mix of that yeah. silence finally got it right. Yeah, of course. Uh, I basically panicked when I heard that, or I got way in my head over. 
<laughs> what possibly counts as a hidden gem? See, you took versus... it really seriously. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's and... so much solo stuff that I'm always basically talking about to myself in my head. So it's like I could pick like a hundred songs and I've totally lost track of what's actually <laughs> famous out there. You know? I have, I do not have a good sense of what is like as close to general consensus as there ever is among Beatles fans of like yeah. what songs are. Yeah. Uh, you know? And so I was texting the group and being like, do people like this song? <laughs> I mean, I know like yesterday, Hey Jude, there's some that are unquestionably big, big. and beloved, but, but, but I would me. love that. I would love that if somebody came on and said, you know what? Yesterday's so ubiquitous. Let me tell you why it's great because nobody yeah. talks about why it's great. So that this is what I mean, how he could be anything. You know, if somebody wanted to come on and say, you think Strawberry Fields Forever is great. Let me tell you, it doesn't get enough credit. So it could be that or, you know, Brett, you have the most random, um, like you really <laughs> took it seriously. Even Paul and, McCartney oh, wow. another one. I didn't even. <laughs> yeah. And Joel, I actually thought Joel was kidding with his selections. I was, <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, th those will be special. They've now, already I'm... been cut for time. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm curious, actually. So if you notice, I put one back on the list. Oh, great. <laughs> okay. So anyways, we have a really, really great range here. And um, we're going to start with a Will selection, which is My Brave Face. I've been living in style, unaccustomed as I am to the luxury life. I've been living in the town, and it didn't need change a single thing as i pull the sheets back from the bed i want to go bury my head in your pillow Demo version. Yes. I think the demo version of this song is uh, superior to the studio version that got released, although I do like that version also. But yeah. So this is uh, this song ends up on Flowers in the Dirt. It's one of the compositions that Paul wrote with Elvis Costello, and they wrote almost an album's worth of songs together, and I pretty much love all of them. Yeah. Uh, this was the single off of Flowers in the Dirt, right? I think it was the first single. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I 
This was 1989, and so this was the first new Beatles release that happened when I was fully in love with the Beatles, right? Like, everything came out on CD in 1987. I got all that obsessed over it deeply, and then two years later, this album comes out. Yeah. Um, and so I was, you know, really excited, and I saw Paul on this tour. Joel, I think I know you did, oh, too. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it was great, and he did a ton of Beatles songs on that. So I, I love just My Brave Face, because it, and I also was a huge Elvis Costello fan. So it was like this insane marriage of two people that I really liked. I think Costello really worked well with Paul and challenged him in a good way. But, but My Brave Face, the studio version, is very, very, very 1989. It's very, like, computer sounding drum I'm not even enough of a production person to tell you how but yeah. it sounds dated and maybe ungood and then some a friend of mine who's a big Elvis Costello fan gave me the a, an mp3 of the demo version in like the early 2000s when it was just Paul and Elvis singing it together with acoustic guitars and it was so lovely and their harmonies were so sublime. Yeah. It leapt out like I had never heard it before. And I know a lot of times the demo of a song gets something that the studio version didn't. But I think the difference in this case is so huge. Like I, you listen to the song, you're like, oh yeah, this is a, a brilliant tune. Yeah. And that's lost in the studio version. And uh, the um, I, an interview that Elvis Costello did in Q magazine once he talked about in doing demos with Paul that it, he was intimidated to harmonize because Paul's voice would come booming in. And the, I think the quote Costello had was the whole world's in his voice. Like you've mm, heard it since that. you were a baby. And it's like this super familiar, friendly voice that you've known forever. And then he has to sing along with it. And he had to like muster all his courage. And in this demo, the Paul high harmonies, I think he even misses a couple notes He's like finding it or whatever. Yeah, but when yeah. he locks in, it's so beautiful that I can just feel Elvis being like, oh my gosh, I'm singing with Paul McCartney. And I just love the tune. And Paul wrote, it's Paul's tune and Elvis wrote the middle bit when it gets very wordy and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, the differences are very distinct between the Paul and the Elvis sections. But I love that too. I love that well, the two personalities are there. Do, do, do you have a, do you know who wrote the majority of the lyrics? Or do you it, have it, it was there... a Paul song that Elvis helped finish. So it's more Paul than Elvis, from what I oh, understand. That's really interesting. Um, interesting. So I think Elvis just wrote the, ever since you went away, I've had a sentimental indicator, yeah, sent a, sounds... whatever, mm -hmm. not to change a single thing. And that Paul's are more like square on the cadence. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm alone again. That's the Paul part. Um but it comes ringing forward like an anthem in that Paul part. I mean, I just think it's a tremendous, tremendous song that because of cheesy production choices yeah. doesn't yeah. get its due. And you I think the demo would be a favorite of any Beatles fan, any Elvis Costello fan. It's just lovely. I think the lyrics are really, you don't hear the lyrics when you hear the single version. Exactly, you hear the exactly. You a lot think, more. Yeah. Yeah, like, and it becomes this mature it's an almost an un a brave a, or a new territory for Paul to write about yes, this kind of subject, yes. and that's what made me think it was a Costello more. But it I'm I yeah, love a, that it's more Paul. It's about a breakup and putting on your brave face, even though your heart's broken. You know, very tears yeah. of a clown territory. Yeah, yeah. You don't hear Paul. Uh, we've talked about that. He doesn't often take the vulnerable position in his storytelling. Yes, he does it many times, but Except not usually he's, we can yeah. work it out. Everything's yeah. going to be great. Take a sad song and make it better. But here's one where he's like, now that I'm alone again, 
and it's sad. Yeah. I, I adore yeah. it. I adore it. Well, it's also so Paul. I think that Paul really has a brave face. You know, he doesn't always go to the super vulnerable place or really let us in. He lets us in in little bits and pieces, you know? And so I think that it's very vulnerable that he admits that he's yeah. got this brave face, you know? Yeah. I thought it's yeah. it's Paul admitting what he does. Yes, exactly. And the, the particular harmony on... Um take me to that place right before they go into the chorus, take me to that place is right out of if I fell, like the harmony there is uh, right out of if I fell in a way that I bet you they were embarrassed about it. It's almost like you can't yeah, do this I was, harmony I with was Paul. So struck. Like when I first listened to flowers in the dirt, like I, I just bought that off the shelf. I think maybe like in the late nineties, just thinking, Oh, this is a Paul McCartney album. I've never heard one note of. Yeah. And I had never read any write up about it or anything. So my first honest opinion of it was that I, I, Unremarkable. I just did not like the yeah. album yeah. at all. It just sounded so cheesy and dated yeah. and not like the Paul I wanted to hear and blah, blah, blah. And so it's just amazing to me to hear the demos, which I think were only actually publicly available only like, Two years ago or yeah. something, mm-hmm. like, the deluxe um, version, yeah. Uh, and every song, it's like he, it shows he really is still writing with the sort of Beatles method. You know, it's like him and Elvis uh, harmonizing, sort of just like how Paul and John would harmonize. The chord changes, the sort of structure, it's all there, and it just shows that it was all in the production. You know, I think a lot of people in the '80s, especially of that generation were really in their heads about getting yeah. away from their 60s and 70s roots and yeah. forcing themselves to be up to date and modern. And, it, um, I, you know, the demos are so cohesive and they, the harmonies are beautiful. If they just stuck to that, I think yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll remember it. Oh, sorry, Katie, go ahead. Oh, well, just we talked about kind of a similar thing um, on an old episode of ours a while ago where we talked about George Harrison's album Gone Trapo. Yeah. And there was a bunch of it where we were like, I, I can't even tell if I like this song yeah. because the production <laughs> yeah. is just, there really is a chunk of maybe four or five years there where, and I don't know where, it is weird how immediately dated it sounds in a way where you know um on egypt station when paul mccartney was like i'm gonna work with the people that work with taylor swift and adele and mm-hmm. produce all that and it's like how's that gonna sound in two yeah. years because that was chasing yeah. the hit sound of the day yeah, yeah. in a yeah. maybe similar way and diana what she said about uh the lyrics about that's really pointed about what like Paul talking about what we we really know about Paul calling himself out a little bit, which is really what John does. John Lennon does constantly with his songs. He was, he's always so easy to call himself out uh, as his own personality and his feelings. But Paul was not so much like that, like with that same brave face. Yeah. Uh, So that's what made me think of that. Well, you know, and, and John actually did complain that, that Paul would put on a mask. Yeah. That they'd be arguing and that this mask would come down, you know, Paul talks about how when he was, you know, when his mother died, he basically learned to have a mask. John fronts a lot, whereas I think Paul has a mask and he doesn't let his emotions through always outside of music. To me, it's always 
read as specific to Paul, but also kind of a generally British stiff upper yes, lip yes, kind yes. of approach. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think what's nice or what makes it feel vulnerable isn't just the self-awareness of, you know, him acknowledging having to wear the brave face or whatever, but yeah. also just recognizing that it's effortful. Yes. Um, yes. Paul must have struggled in the the eighties. My goodness, you know. Yes. Yeah, he listened to Press to Play. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I that's because I have to listen to the album because I I use it as a punching bag so often yeah. that I've I think I've seen the video once when it came out. And I, never saw it <laughs> I want to see you listen. I bet you burst into tears. Like it'll really hit you like so hard when you finally listen to it. Yeah, and, you, and you deserve it. You deserve it. It'll rock yeah. you. Yeah. You can come on and we'll do a live version. Your first okay, take, great. Okay. <laughs> I come over to your house. You're crying to like spies like us or something like that. <laughs> That's one thing I've noticed. I, I feel like I've noticed about Paul, maybe even in the last 10 years, like I feel like he's um, a lot more forthcoming or like uh, mm-hmm. generous in his interviews and, and sort of he, he like I've, I always found him or if you look at old interviews basically from the Beatles to the 90s <laughs> he can he can kind of give you that cold shoulder a little bit I feel like it, it yeah. was tough to to crack him a little he's, bit and I feel he, like yeah. in his age he's gotten a lot more like open to the nostalgia factor of the Beatles he's less less resistant to talking about it mm-hmm. he probably he'll open feels... up about John and he'll open up about it more and it's it's nice to see yeah, I think he probably has the distance from it to where, you know, the Beatles breakup isn't so present or like his legacy is its own thing at this point. So, yeah, to allow himself to be more sentimental about it. Yeah. Um, or I guess in a this is a cynical take on it, I suppose. But if it's that he sees also that people like it when he is when he's nostalgic about oh me and john were best friends and i I miss him and i like people respond to that because of course we do you could tell that they were in love with each other so uh yeah i do like that when he is more open about it yeah i think he does it for all those reasons i mean for legacy uh because people respond very well to it uh i suspect he also wants to reclaim the lennon mccartney uh, creative love story because it got a little lost and I suspect he probably thinks it's his job to make sure that it is found again and you know he's given a lot of great interviews over the year it's not just recently actually I love his early 70s interviews he was pretty open there are pockets of time where he's very open in like 83 84 85 he's really open his interviews are great. I was just going down a rabbit hole of that recently. And it was like, he said some really, you know, the, the 1984 Playboy interview that he did, the Salovich interview See, that he wait, did. This is that up. I want, okay, I want okay. that. Okay. Reading yeah, 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 yeah. I want yeah, it. There's the Hunter Davies call that he did in the early 80s where he just was talking to Hunter and Hunter was writing everything down. It wasn't an interview. And then he published it. I mean, there are pockets where he's really open. And then he closes up again. I'll do that episode, Will. All right, great. Yeah. Okay, so one question for you. Do you ever... Yes. It's This song is so evocative about a breakup. Do you ever mm. wonder what was going on with Paul and Linda when you listen to it? Or do you yeah, just I think wonder of it? What, I wonder what put him in this headspace. Even if they just had a fight and he had some distance for a couple of days and he extrapolated that into the feeling of a breakup. Or if he was 
remembering something from long before. I always wonder, whenever the Beatles write about heartbreak, these guys famously had more romantic adventures than anybody in history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, who did John write no reply about? Like, uh, you know, who do these who yeah, broke yeah, yeah. these guys' hearts? I don't know, but yeah, yeah somebody. Did. Well, that's what I said too. I mean, there's a there's a chunk of time where we know nothing about John's. Like he's he's very reactive in the early Beatles. Who's he having relationships with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always wonder that too. And and you know what? In this '84 Playboy interview that Paul and Linda, uh, this interview that they give, they talk about their relationship being um, tempestuous. You know, they seem like they're the calmest, coolest, you know, yeah. couple, like just really warm. But I think it wasn't always like that. You know, behind and, the mullet. Exactly behind the mullet. Exactly. You <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> got him. She caught him eating like a piece of bacon. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, late at night. <laughs> exactly. Paul and Linda fights. Yeah, but he said he liked it that way. He was like, it keeps it spicy. Oh, yeah, so I've I seen that a, quote. I love that. Yeah. Great choice. And Thank you. Uh, onwards. Okay, so let me see. That was our first one. Ah, second one is Katie. Yes. Bye. Please don't wake me up too late. Now, yeah, you've been kicked um, out. The, term, the council has spoken. That was so polite, though. Um, yeah, so this one, uh, the more famous version, I suppose, is the Mary Hopkin recording. Yeah. Uh, so Paul wrote this for her. Uh, she was on Apple Records, and then he also plays a bunch of instruments and stuff in her recording of it. Yeah. Um, but the demo that he recorded was on... Uh, the bonus tracks when in 2019 when the re-release of Abbey Road came out. When we recorded the our episode about that when that came out, we were all at Brett's yes. to listen to it. And I had listened to the album but hadn't gotten through all the bonus stuff before we recorded. Yeah. And yeah. that song came on and I like started levitating in my eyes <laughs> into lasers and I was like what is this like I just could not yeah. oh yeah I remember that yeah, yeah, yeah. Believe, right. this melody nothing. yeah that's <laughs> kind of routine for me I guess um well we were terrified you were levitating yeah, I mean, yeah. it was my house and there's lasers shining <laughs> everywhere yeah I yep, you're said totally I'm right. sorry about that uh no but I just love the melody of it so much it's because it's I mean I love all sorts of Paul melodies, but yeah. it's such a, I think especially in the demo, because it's just him and an acoustic guitar, it's such like a beautiful folk melody mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's, it's yeah. crazy to think about this time period, like Paul McCartney from 68 to 71, just how many towering home run shots he had for himself, for Badfinger, for Mary. He just seemed to have an infinite number of songs that blow you away. Like it and was this crazy. Was, like the demo was recorded really quickly just to kind of like get it out and send it over to her for her to learn the song. Um, 
and I mean, there's a key change between the two versions, but uh, yeah, I mean, just that he just was like, all right, let's throw this one out. It's not for the yeah. Beatles, whatever. And it still is that good. And then this song and another of Mary Hopkins songs, both times she got to number two on the charts because number one was the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, um, um, let's see, what is it called? The step inside love was that for mary hopkins too no i think that was wasn't that silla black i, I do yeah. like that one it, it yeah. had that same quality of him just sort of you can hear this on anthology three i think uh, the cds but he's just playing it randomly during the white album session oh, yeah 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 and it's just this marvelous yeah with lost paranoias lost yes. paranoias or something yeah yeah, yeah oh, right yeah and he's just throwing it out there I was like hey this is something i just wrote the other day it's probably not good for this but you know if somebody <laughs> record it, it'll be another number one hit music is easy Do you yeah know? i don't he think do he, he doesn't remember writing this song no kidding yeah goodbye that's infuriating yeah. and i think Oh, good. No, I meant goodbye. Yeah. Oh, you gotta go. That news was too much for Joel. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, I think goodbye is a good example too of I maybe with my brave face or like thinking of a specific breakup. I think Paul's also just really good at perspective taking, where the lyrics of this song, for one, I like that in his demo he just left it as like. Uh, the the lover in the song he uses male pronouns because Mary Hopkin was going to but mm-hmm. I like that he wasn't so worried about it that he changed them to she and her but anyway mm-hmm. um yeah I mean like the the lyrics uh have just nothing to do with his life at that time like I think that he's just good at like what's a story <laughs> and you'll or yeah. what's a situation yeah. someone could be in and then well you'll write that I don't know. Maybe it does have to do with his life, though, because he, you know, I don't know when exactly he wrote it. He wrote he because he doesn't remember it. But it seems to have been like she put it out. What? Spring of March 69. Yeah. Yeah. So he would have written it maybe a month or two before that in early 69. And he got married in March. And he and Linda have a giant fight the night before they got married. Apparently, Poland went and saw his longtime other girlfriend before that. So I do think he was saying goodbye to his bachelor life. There may have been a few women that he was saying goodbye to, you know, it could be. Got in his cab and said, all right, five addresses we need to. <laughs> exactly. He did. He stopped by. Apparently there was this girlfriend that he had uh, named Maggie McGivern. And he went to see her and she said he didn't say anything, but she just knew he was bre- breaking up with her. And, Apparently, in this is this is a little bit of inside information. This uh, that this was in many years from now, but it was cut. That her brother came and like knocked on his door when he found out that Paul was going to get married, and was like, "You have to marry my sister." Oh man! And so yeah, I think there was some entanglements going on at that time, and it seems like when you look at this song, he he seems a little bit conflicted, like sad to be leaving that person, but then very excited about the new thing you know so could, yeah could, could relate there yeah i mean at least it's different enough for being boiled down to sounding like it's only about one person <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's the editing he did way. yeah, yeah. <laughs> also just knowing how he normally worked uh you know he generally just write a song like start to finish or finish it in the same 
sort of writing session that he started it. So I'm always sort of amazed that he remembers, you know, as many songs as he does. I'm not terribly surprised that he just completely forgets. Oh my God, think of all the ones that he forgot. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, Mary Hopkins said that he wrote it in 10 minutes, Mm. uh, which is is crazy. It is, there's just... That was the time between addresses in that cab. (laughs) (laughs) If I I wrote that song, if I had written that song, that would have been like my greatest achievement in my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he wrote this other song. Have you guys ever heard of a song called Panina? No. It it was written around the same time that he, he and Linda were in Portugal and they stumbled into a bar and he got on the piano and instead of leaving them a tip was like, I'm leaving you this song. And then they made it into a big hit in Portugal. Oh my gosh. So he's, he's just writing songs left right and center. you know it's just like you said well it's just coming out of him at this i've time. tried to do that with my podcasts uh, at restaurants <laughs> yeah. i uh, record a podcast i leave it on a little flash drive and say this is for you guys and yeah i've actually <laughs> tipped with a shitty song before too. Yeah. <laughs> i'd prefer the cash yeah <laughs> but you know, but one other point is that to go back to this theme that yes he was writing for mary and maybe it was imagination but it's interesting to me he writes the end that year he writes the long and winding road let it be goodbye. Like he seems to be saying whether or not he knew it consciously. I think he was saying goodbye a lot in his music on his mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was dead. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Famously dead. Famously dead. I love his voice in this too. It's just so beautiful. It's like a little Daisy. I just, I love with, Beatles songs when you can hear a cover or even just a stripped down version and it's like yeah that's perfect because their production is so much of their deal and everything has a million layers and all of that but when this is like a guy with a guitar he could conceivably sit down and just play and sing this in any location and it would be a complete song and it's so good (laughs) like that's so impressive to me. I think also the way you discovered it, Katie, the way we, because I think I didn't even know the Mary Hopkin version of this song before we heard it on that Abbey Road thing. It always amazed me when these Giles Martin remixes have come out that there are anything, that there are surprises left because they've been mined so many times. But there really have been at least something interesting, like some alternate version of something, if not a whole song, that has been like genuinely interesting. And this was certainly one from the Abbey Road. So it, it, you know, it really was a hidden gem that you're like, gosh, yes. what, this this was just sitting around. I can't believe it. So yeah, yeah I mean, and I, I was not familiar with the Mary Hopkin version at that point either, and looked it up after yeah. that Abbey Road re-release, and then now I love both. Yeah. voice is is gorgeous you know it's funny too that she kind of doesn't love this song mary's so funny she was just like it was fine but i'm not sure if it suited me you know it wasn't the direction that i wanted to go in it was yeah i wasn't happy with being signed by the beatles (laughs) and having the beatles write me a song and then he's in the video with me not enough for me yeah 
Yeah, this is actually what she said. Although I'm flattered that Paul wrote goodbye, especially for me, it was, I believe, a step in the wrong direction for You're me. You're out of your mind. I would. Uh, Paul McCartney would hit me in the face, and I would be, I would be the best thing. It's a hit. It also it got to number two. It was <laughs> <Seriously>. successful. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, uh, you know what? It kind of reminds me of I Will. You know, in just in terms of the tone and sure. the, the, yeah. you know the the voice that Paul uses. And it's such a different vibe uh, between the demo version and the Mary Hopkin version. Just the production choices on hers. There's um, a couple of differences in the lyrics or performance, and then but yeah. just like way more instrumentation, and it sounds. Like, I think if I had known that version first, I don't know that it would have jumped out at me the same way of like, oh, what a beautiful melody, even though it's the same melody. Um, like, I think it's just so stark oh, in this demo. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, you're right. It's such a sweet song that it just sounds amazing with Paul, his voice and the guitar. Yeah. He's I don't good. think Paul was capable in this period of like making any bad choice yeah uh, you know with his voice or any instrument i just think it's like you know 1996 michael jordan or something it's yeah like he, he's just at the absolute top of his game and he knows it and I, I i can't even imagine him writing a bad you know five seconds of music from maybe <laughs> 66 to 69 or 70 then you know after that maybe it's still 99% perfect. <laughs> oh, I just looked it up. So Panina was recorded by Carlos Mendez. anybody else have anything else to say about this one we love it we love it it is it's fabulous okay so next one is uh brett's choice i'm interested to hear what you say about this one brett it is what you're oh, doing sure. Yeah, I think it really counts as one because I, I, I remember, I don't, I don't remember like specifically when I sort of rediscovered this track, but it's just one of those songs that I think out of, out of maybe the most famous band of all time, that is the most sort of ubiquitously discussed band. I think this song would su probably surprise a lot of people who thought they were well-versed Beatles fans. You know, it's just not a song... I remember ever hearing on the radio. Um, I remember my parents really yeah. talking about or introducing to me. And yet I think like the second it comes over the speakers to me, it sounds like a hit song. Like it could just in mm -hmm. a, in a different universe, 
this could have been all over the radio and it'd be like, yeah, that's one of the Beatles smash hits. Like it has every sort of element you want. And even like, you know, the, the drum intro sounds Mm -hmm. sort of like an iconic intro. Um, and I think I read some sort of conspiracy theories that that wasn't actually Ringo playing, but I think it was. But there, there, there were. It was uh, Lee, Har- Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a really um, interesting conspiracy theory. It's a long, <laughs> long walk. <laughs> um, and then there's the like guitar riff that comes ah, out. Mm, it's just so good. Perfect bird style, twelve string, mm-hmm. George Harrison you know lick that's just immediately yeah. sort of iconic sounding um uh what what song do i want to compare it to mr tambourine man you is can't do turn, it's turn, almost turn. like oh yeah from the birds but it's almost like you can't do that also like <clears throat> oh a, yeah a similar um guitar kind of passage with this sort of like seventh chord sounding thing it's just always it's just very signature beatles um and then you know the song from there is is it's musically pretty simple lyrically I guess pretty simple I don't mm-hmm. have like it actually is very similar to drive my car musically which what like even just listening back to it now I sort yeah. of hadn't thought about that before but it goes they're in the same D and G D and G and then the B minor G thing it's like it, it goes they're in the same little medley thing. and uh beatles love, love. Yeah. Like yeah, that's, that's the first time i think i had ever heard that song was in love me too yeah. and i was like where has this one been yeah, in me all too. My life? it's yeah. one of those ones like in my sort of journey of being a mega fan and trying to like find every single beatles moment i could listen to that was one of them that kind of what i just remember just being like wow this is to me right now, this is like a whole new Beatles song that I totally either hadn't really heard before or forgot about. And it sounds, it's just like one of their early hits. Uh, I um, love that story. Cause I feel like everybody has that with some Beatles song. For, like, yeah. Uh, and I do think this is one that is within that genre of album Beatles tracks that you discover is one of the least discoverable ones. Like I've just seen a face was that for me. I discovered that mm-hmm. kind of late, but I, I yeah. mean, oh that song it's is so favorite. beloved and, and huge that it, but still for me, I hadn't heard it until I went through the help album and I was completely knocked off my chair. And uh, I think what you're doing is one of those really the second half of Beatles for sale is a complete, just gold yeah. mine of hidden gems that didn't get the oxygen that they deserved either production wise or publicity wise, but you know, I, yeah. I don't want to spoil the party, what you're doing, even every little thing. They're all just so good. Oh, yeah. I love every little thing. Yeah, I was that considering was that too yeah. for this. It, Cause they're it, similar Be- songs in a way. Beatles for sales just like gets, I guess fairly kind of shuffled to the bottom of most Beatles album. I mean, just relative to how many other great albums there are. But then when I, when I revisit it track by track, I'm like, this album's incredible. Like how yeah. could we ever, discounted right. it. and it's Mr. so Mr. varied and exciting and even the covers they pick are amazing Sorry. like mr moonlight right which is okay <laughs> don't get me started I, that song should be erased from history there should be a congressional bill <laughs> for me um also just in terms of like geeking out about the beatles I, i've always felt like I've, I've been sort of a sponge like organically just for 
trivia, I guess you could say, but I've always felt a little bit sometimes behind on the trivia. But musically, I'm always like, I just find there's so many interesting things they do musically. In like yeah. Every, um, even those early things which are considered uh, simple or people to your ears because they're just so catchy and short and yeah. catchy, they, you, you might think that it's just kind of a just a nice little love song but there's there's they always make sure to put something in there musically that kind of freaks me out like like it's just it's different and it maybe shouldn't even work like it's it's uh it almost breaks some musical rule Mm -hmm. in a way um uh could I just play like one note from the solo that I find really yes do it Play as much as you want. The solo section, like even if you remember the song, the solo section to me is really surprising. It has this weird jangly piano in it, and it almost sounds yeah, yeah. all of a sudden um, like jazzy or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the, the chords are just like, you know, like it's just D to G7 or whatever. But then it goes... Like, which is, sounds very simple, but you hear, like... A, yeah, it's nice. Um, like, that's... That Dissonant. No, it's... That's what he's hitting, like, that... Whatever that note is over the G is, like, a bizarre move to make. Like, I feel... Yeah. Like, a lot of people in the studio would just say, hey, that's a that's a wrong note. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, yeah, that's yeah. not part of that chord. Not in the song, sort of anywhere up to that point. So like your ears sort of perk up, you know, at, at those moments. And if you don't like have the vocabulary, which I don't necessarily for all the the musical stuff going on. Thank you for apologizing because I was thinking, God, you sound like an idiot. You know, I'm just like the way you're talking about these chords. You could yeah, exactly. only that's exactly what I was thinking too. Doesn't know anything about yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, just not yeah. musical is what I was thinking. This guy doesn't get it. I um, think that song too is does something that many Beatles songs do that I love. Um that just all of the different parts are rhythmically different enough that the way that they kind of interlock or the clockwork of it is I think to me what keeps it interesting. Where yeah just that and and this kind of came up in that um McCartney 321 thing of that it's almost like they were writing four different songs that could just go mm. on top of each other <laughs> uh, yeah i think this is a good example of that where you know it's early enough that it's before they were doing anything complicated with the recording particularly i mean uh whatever but you know yeah, the, the arrangements are always part of the genius it's like yeah, what they're that, doing and what they're not doing and how it all interlocks, like you said. And just the musicianship of like that they're not all on the four. It's not mm-hmm. all on the yes. four downbeats or just eighth notes or whatever. It's like they're all doing really different, interesting stuff and they just fit together in a fun way. And it, With this song, uh, I feel like the demos are so fun because you can really hear that. That is a huge thing that they they work on very consciously it's mm-hmm. like what is okay mm-hmm. i have this song i wrote in like 10 minutes let's figure yeah. out let's like distinguish a, it let's, let's put yeah, 10% yeah. On a, this, an 10% arrangement on an experiment with the arrangement until we come to like this 
this incredible final result. But then sometimes you discover, like I discovered even listening back for this podcast, like there, there's a demo out there, I think it says like take 11 or something. And it's fantastic. It almost reminds me of that My Brave Face demo because John and Paul are harmonizing mm. basically oh, yeah. every single word of it. Yeah. And it's simple and it's you can tell they're kind of working it out. But you're like, oh, this version I love just as much as yeah. the final version, if not more. Like I, you almost wish they kept that harmony. In yeah, it. occasionally I feel like that. I think they mostly made the best call, but sometimes – you know, that probably yeah. just seemed normal to them to 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 do something more interesting. It may be like my brave face. You know, you could almost imagine them going, well, we shouldn't harmonize every single line or yeah. Yeah. we just yeah. did that kind of thing with this other song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, how about you just double track it and do that? But then sometimes you listen back and you're like, you guys just do just yeah. do what works. We love it every time. Yeah. <laughs> just har- har- harmonize the entire time, please. But I do. I mean, I've talked about before how much I love on. Beatles albums that none of there are never two songs that sound the same and so I think that consciousness of oh but we just did this on that other one is yeah I'm glad that they did that for the results for for other things but I get your point of sometimes there are alternate versions where you're like but yeah 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 isn't this the one that George brings up during the get back recording sessions that they're like talking about what songs to play George is like every Every, every little thing, every little yeah. thing. I keep yeah. doing the one that, that doesn't have bass or something. Is no, that part? He, no, he wants to bring it back. Like, remember, he says that like, we should do, yeah. we should do some, <laughs> we should do some oldies. You know, when they're talking about their concert, yeah. and he's like, maybe we should have. And then he brings up every little thing, and John's, oh, okay. poor John's like, yeah. I've been doing help really well. John keeps talking about help, and everybody keeps ignoring him. Like John desperately wants to do a different version of help. What I was I'm, thinking yeah. of is um, I'll Follow the Sun is one that they were like, have we ever had a song oh, right. with no bass before? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. That to me was so, I love those little moments in the documentary where you just see, like, of course, that was only a few years before. Yeah. But just to see that they were still connected with those yeah, days. Yeah, I agree. And still had those things on their minds and. Especially because they weren't, they weren't yeah. touring. It's not like they had stayed in the rotation for them or they didn't have to yeah. have things to play. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that wasn't in the rotation. It is interesting. I, I agree with you, Brett. I felt like that too. Like this is their family of songs that they still love various ones. You yeah. know, it's not like I've, they progressed I've, and don't care. I feel like I've, I've, I've known so many bands that, you know, maybe they'll have an amazing arc throughout their career. But very often there's this sort of, uh, you know, golden period or, or the glory days or whatever that people talk about, like the early days, and then they go off and they change and people are frustrated because they change. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's one of the things I've always seen in the Beatles arc was they grew so much, but they always gave you like a, just enough of the connection with the early stuff. Like they never totally abandoned it in a way. Yeah, there's connective um, tissue to the previous eras. Tissue. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think like it just works so well. Yeah, and it's nice to hear they still like it, you know, that they're still mm-hmm. talking affectionately about it. The um the subject of this one kind of makes me laugh because this is about some woman that's driving him crazy. And uh, you know, I would assume it was Jane Asher. I mean, who knows who it's about, but Paul just has so many songs for the next two years about some woman that's not making his life easy. <laughs> right. He has some interesting rhymes in it. Yeah. 
doing yeah. in blue and yeah uh running and fun in <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah yeah, like, yeah yeah it's the, that kind of thing where later on their creativity just blossomed so much and they would innovate every single thing about it but you know that was how they were innovating in those early days like even just quirky rhymes like yeah, that yeah. Were, i love were, that were, musical phrasing too at that part of the you've got me running me and too. there's no fun in it <laughs> like yeah. I, it's so good <laughs> It is. Actually, you know what? In Goodbye, he does this other little trick too. This, you know, he repeats the same word, you know, like tomorrow comes and I will not be late, late today. When, when it, it becomes, becomes tomorrow. You know, he does that and they'll linger. And linger. So yeah, he's trying these different little tricks and rhymes that make them really interesting. Yeah. I think that yeah. rhyme scheme is very Lennon in a fun way. Like, um, you know, what you're doing, I feel blue in it. Uh, that feels very like, please let me listen to your please kind of thing that he was drawn to. I'm not saying he did it. I, I, we said in some, some, some earlier moment, like people like to talk about the differences between Paul and John, but I'm interested recently in the similarities. Like when yeah. Paul you said writes, it before. Like, I, I'm quoting me. I think I was right when I said this before. <laughs> <laughs> some really smart person uh, said this. You know, someone once said. <laughs> you know, somebody, maybe even me, two minutes ago said, but um, I, yeah, I, I look for little Lenin-y moments in the McCartney songs and vice versa. And yeah, I think that's one. Yeah, okay. I like to, I'm sorry, we're going to keep going. Uh, that the, those where he'll put a rhyme, so the rhyme completes the line musically, but then the sentence wraps around or keeps yes. going. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, one of my later ones, I'm going to talk about metric feet for a little bit. So, I wanted to say, I have a team of fact checkers right here. <laughs> and they actually just pointed out that I was the one who pointed out that Lennon and McCartney are actually very. Oh, similar. okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, what? I gotta. I need a team. <laughs> Where are they? Where are they? <laughs> it's my dog. That's a corgi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think that follow up on that point. It's like there is a whole era, maybe stemming from breakup narratives that mm-hmm. were often false, mm-hmm. and some of the really ugly things John might have put out there, like in his, you know, John moments and some of those interviews. That, you know, there was, I feel like there was this narrative that Paul wasn't really a wordsmith guy. Like, he wasn't a lyrical genius, and he was just the sort of virtuoso on uh, music, you know, music, musically. And John was the really serious, you know, lyric guy. And I just think, even if it's just these small moments, that, that you know, that's nonsense. Yeah. No, Paul's an incredible lyricist. I think when he's at the top of his game, he is as good as John. And unfortunately, you know, he's just got so much material and he wasn't vigilant about quality control. And so we can point to some examples of him being a lazy lyricist and that in some ways undermines the overall view of him. And I think unfortunately this view stops people from really looking at the genius of his lyrics. And and I think that's one of the reasons that he came out with the book, The Lyrics, is he wants to point to, look at how many incredible lyrics. There was a campaign that his team did. It was on social. They just had lines from various songs. And it made you pay attention to how many clever lines he's got. 
but he's a great lyricist when he wants to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he had like he loved all those songs from the twenties and thirties where those lyrics yes. were just all fun and the the rhyme scheme was really playful. Yes. And John, I think, sometimes just had like his own sort of artist wordplay and absurdist. Whereas I think you could definitely hear Paul in uh, Cole Porter. You know, you're right. Yeah, those kinds sometimes of... Paul was so um, he was so it came so easily to him in some ways, or he was so comfortable with like a really fast process and it would just flow out of him. I, and in some ways I feel like that's almost the most John part about him is that he was, he actually wasn't as perfectionist and fussy. Like he was, he was okay. Just letting quirky moments like go, go to tape, you know? Yeah. Um, and if the lyric didn't totally make sense, but it sounded fun and it was fun to sing, yeah, yeah. you know, and then those are the moments, you know, you listen back and you're like, oh, that's actually really clever. Yeah. No one else would have done that. You know, maybe trusted. Yeah. It's created process. Like, let's see, it might be good. All right. Onwards. Oh, great. Joel. This is one that I thought you were kidding. Me. But, <laughs> oh, we're skipping. but I, can't, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this one. <laughs> So this is the isolated drum track uh, from Oh Darling. Um, and now I've, I've always had a lot of affection for the song. And anyway, but I guess when I heard the isolated drum track, I, I was sort of mesmerized by it, or not sort of, I was mesmerized by it. Now, now if you're, a, yeah, okay, well, there goes Will, lost Will. Um, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> gets if you're uh, if you are you know low level obsessed with this band and you um Ringo does get a lot of praise uh because of uh, certainly in the last 10 or 15 years I think on with maybe the advent of YouTube where there's just oodles of people celebrating what he does whereas before that maybe he might have been overlooked as a drummer from a fan perspective because of his personality is just so was was sort of leading the charge as far as what was charming about Ringo yeah yeah but, um I think a drum I'm not a drummer so I, I can't really attest to that but um it's hard to find like concrete examples of like where you can go this is what makes Ringo so great So sometimes you have to take all the instruments out and listen uh, to just what he's doing. And I'm not sure if this is a good example of his Ringo-ness. It's just that um, he is, 
he's playing to the song, I guess, is what I think was so great about this. Um, he's not like there are tons of isolated drum tracks from a lot of different bands and from a lot of like heralded drummers. So in this one, it's not the most flashy thing, but I, to me, I hear a, a symphony of uh, a, 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 all sorts of different sounds emanating from a maybe at this point the biggest drum set he had ever had, which was uh, Brett. You might help me on this one, but I think he had a bass drum at this point. He Comically had two drums. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but no, I mean just the amount of drums. He uh-huh. finally advanced to a second tom, and I think he uh-huh. removed that after this album back to one. Interesting. Uh, so he uh, he's always been a very simple drummer, um, but what I love about this, in addition to just all the fills that he's playing, which sound like, even with three drums that he's playing, it sounds like he's playing 16 different drums. And also you hear... Uh, this is a good one for headphones or earbuds where you hear the room reverb every time he hits that snare. And I, I, that gives me tingles for some reason. I don't know why it just, it just yeah. is so, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful example of this beautiful man, um, playing like almost like a soldier in a way of just like, I'm just here to do my job, which in this incredible Paul song and play the drums and support it. And it's it's also just extremely an exciting track to me. Are we saying that it's like um, creative as opposed to lockstep? Like you could imagine a simple drum beat that's just basically trying to be an effective click track for Paul, but he instead is feeling each moment. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm sort of saying that he's like <laughs> he's 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 proving that he is a drum track, a, mm. a click track. Yeah, but he's also uh, when he's doing these fills uh, with only three drums, I I can't track them. I, I almost can't. You almost can't write. Each one seems different from the yeah. previous one. And uh, he uh, he seems to be making as you know, this is not a, a shock, but he's just making it up as he goes. And um, I think. I think he might have said like at some point that I don't really try to remember much of my, like what, how I record. And then I just have to listen to it again if I need to learn it again. But um, yeah, this is, I mean, it is, uh, I was similarly obsessed with this, this isolated drum track. Cause to me, yeah, you've heard, you've heard good things about Ringo. You've certainly heard the criticisms and one thing you would hear is, oh, he couldn't keep time or he could barely do this or that or wasn't flashy. Or You um, talked to Quincy Jones, it sounds or, like. You yeah. were hanging out with <laughs> yeah. Quincy Jones. <laughs> yeah, with Quincy Jones. Uh, he had some crazy stuff to say about uh, Marvin Gaye, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, to me, this is like, and for me as sort of a, like a musician, I've worked with drummers and like I've worshipped, dr- you know, the virtuoso drummers and all that like there is a difference between just a a good drummer and a great drummer and like a studio drummer, you know, and this, it sounds like a studio drummer. Like he is, there's a term like in the pocket um, for drums where it's, it's something almost beyond just being in time. (laughs) It's like, there is a serious, like deep groove to it. Um, and the fills are really like advanced. They're very sophisticated. Like that is a hard thing to like, I, I don't know if I've met anyone who would 
play drums that way. There's a lot to go over with this track. <laughs> so are you saying that this is a great example of how technically good Ringo is or how he plays to the song or both? Or... I would say both. Um, I mean, it's just, per you, you don't think of this song as something that would even need, you know, a standout drum track. I, um, I think you hit it. Yeah, I think, uh, Diana, that this... Uh, you, I never paid attention to the drums in the song. No, before me neither. That, that's why I was yeah. Yeah. thought you were joking. Yeah. Right. But, then, so, but this, yeah, I think, proves that there is, that the drums make a huge difference in it. Huge. Mm -hmm. And and the same goes for other Beatles tracks. Like, he has a seriously, like, deep sense of rhythm. And that's very signature to Ringo. And it's all over the fills. The fills are so creative and inventive in this and they're different they're just they're different yeah. there's a ton I think of like ghost notes and that just his, a lot going on it shows that he also had good taste the way that yeah. the other Beatles did mm -hmm. so that he yeah I, I yeah that he's actively contributing to songwriting in his way rather than you know what I mean? Just showing up and putting a beat under something. 100%. I think uh, like just knowing how Paul was particularly in, uh, for, for better, for, you know, well, I don't want to get into that, but he, he, Paul could dictate a lot of what happened yeah, in the yeah, songs yeah. to the others. So he, he was not shy about suggesting I can't, this is one thing where I would say one song where I would say, I, I could believe that Paul never told him to do anything except what whatever happened happened really yeah, uh, okay. yeah I, I, particularly because of these fills i just don't think you can tell someone to do that no <laughs> okay. i think it's just not. uh as, as as like one of your options diana about is he playing to the is is he just playing to the song so well and i think yeah, yeah. that is where these are uh these are just great examples of that well, what i like about this choice joel when you said it uh is um, you can learn a lot from people's kind of showy centerpiece moments, like Ringo's drumming on Rain, maybe, or on uh, She Said, She Said. You know, these times that have been rightfully cited as these really cool uh, drum tracks. But, like, what's somebody like just when they're doing their job? Like, what's the yeoman's yeah. work, the workman-like task? In the Rick Rubin documentary, like Katie was saying, it sounded like they were just four different, four original songs all put on top of each other that they were just good at making their country. Everybody was good at making their contribution interesting on its own mm -hmm. in a way that, that added to the whole. Um, this is an example of Ringo's part of that. You know, uh, it's, it's as interesting as hearing like Paul's bass part on and your bird can sing, you know, or like um, George's little lead fills on uh, I've got a feeling or something like they're not, the, they're not the centerpiece of the songs, but, they're, yeah. they're cool and they're good in a way that that's part of the weird yeah. alchemy that makes the Beatles songs explode all of those, into the uh, atmosphere. All of those little things, if they were done in a sort of generic way, might really bring the song down. Yeah. You know, it might not be a song. Because Oh Darling, well, I mean, Paul, Paul's vocal is enough to, to <laughs> freak yeah. out about. But mm -hmm. it is essentially he's just doing kind of like an oldies throwback mm -hmm. song. Yeah. Do up yeah. kind of thing. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, if they did it in a sort of hacky way, I I don't know. It might it just might kind of be dull, especially yeah. when it came out, you know. But there's uh, yeah. doing this doing doing this podcast with you guys has definitely made me appreciate, you know, I used to think it 
I used to attribute more to just pure songwriting, like mm-hmm, the sheet mm-hmm. music that Me John too. and Paul would bring in. And of course, that's often tremendous and really good. Mm. But I've I've come to appreciate more that it's the four of them in the studio and what they do with the songs, bring it to life beyond what's on the page. Um, not all the time. Something like yesterday, I do believe yesterday, as sheet music is a rocket ship. But like, like oh, darling, yeah, that, that could just be a little, uh, you know, Fats Domino ripoff or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you add in Paul's incredible vocal, some co- great... All of Abbey Road, really. It's the, yeah. the production and the um, performance elevates so many of those. Actually, you, I, I, as soon as I say that, I'm like, no, here comes the sun. Uh, something. <laughs> Never mind. But, but yeah, I mean, oh, darling, too. Like, if you hear all the the sort of rehearsal or demo versions where Paul is sort of singing it in a in an easy, convenient way, where it's just sort of him in falsetto and in a lighter way, I, I don't even know if I love it that much. But it's only because of that, like serious effort they put into the actual recording. You know him, yeah. Smoking it's like I want you cigarettes too. and screaming his voice out, and it's yeah. like it's that approach that just makes it incredible. Well, I I feel like that about it. I love I want you. She's so heavy, so much. Oh yeah. But <laughs> that's one where you hear John playing it, and I don't love it that much on its own before yeah. it's all production, but. The production is genius, you know. I, think, I was going to say, the, okay, oh, sorry, sorry, Katie, go for it. Sorry, just beyond, the production is absolutely part of it and adding those layers and everything, but I think that's what I like uh, it is how much they're just continuing to write the song. Yeah. You know, so someone comes in with, hey, here's what I wrote, but it's like yeah, that yeah. none of that's fixed. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to all constantly mm-hmm. add stuff yeah. until they all think it's done. Um, I think... Something you said maybe in the Facebook group, Diana, uh, although at this point it's been echoed well by other people, but like a lot of what's missing in Beatles solo songs is what would it have been like if the other guys had a crack at it? Like as good as so many Beatles solo songs are, what happens to Band on the Run if it's John playing rhythm guitar on that? You know, or yeah. maybe even better examples would be like album tracks. Like what happens to Mrs. Vanderbilt if it's like yeah, yeah. George putting some licks in there or something? Yeah, um, well, that was a, that was a conversation that we just had on on the Once We Dream Facebook group, and somebody asked how many of Paul's solo tracks are Beatles worthy, and that that's kind of an interesting idea because you sort of think, well, they weren't as good afterwards. You, know, I mean, I I don't necessarily. Uh, that's definitely uh, something people say all the time. Yeah, that's something that people say. Yeah. It's not something I believe, but it was only in the past five years that I've really come to embrace that a lot of these songs are Beatles quality. They just don't have. The Beatles. The Beatles. Yeah. 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 If the Beatles did My Brave Face, it would be amazing. And and that all of a sudden, retroactively, that song's, of course, it's Beatles worthy, you know? And if you take Oh Darlin' and it doesn't have Ringo's drum part, George Martin's production, maybe that's not Beatles worthy anymore. Maybe. I was going to say that the, 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 speaking of Abbey Road and isolated and something, like the isolated bass line from Mm -hmm. something is, Mm -hmm. is so. It's so much. And then you, if you had that missing from the final song, it would sound completely different. And I, I wonder if that's the same, maybe not as much, but with the drum mm-hmm. track with O'Darling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. 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 But to me, to me, it, it's both the creativity and all of that. And also I just kind of like it for Ringo's legacy. It's like, it yeah. proves that he is a, a studio level like uh uh 
he can execute like in the studio mm-hmm. at like an insane level like that that kind of drumming you hear there you could you could throw that in the most um you know exacting band you can think of from that period great i love it i love it this is a great hidden instrumentation hidden excellent part of the yeah. song yeah. joel hidden you component. were joking right and yeah. it was a joke, right, Joel? You don't even like it. <laughs> um, okay, so we are going to move to Will's choice here, which was not exactly hidden, but uh, Will, why did you choose? Why? What's not oh. hidden about this? There's a little little known track called I Want to Hold Your Hand. <laughs> Americans might remember it from the little indie show, The Ed Sullivan Show. Um, okay, yeah, so I, you know, even when I picked it, I know it's an insane thing to slot this into a show called no, Hidden Gems. No, it's perfect. No, it's yeah. perfect. But my, I thought the, you were joking. The reason I wanted to <laughs> talk about it was I do think that it doesn't get its due yes. in modern Beatles fandom. See, that's uh, why it's right. Yeah, so like, you know, the White Album and Abbey Road are very modern sounding albums still. Yeah, That's yeah. one of the many amazing things about them. Um, and, you know, you can put Abbey Road on in, in you know, and, and play it and it doesn't, it doesn't stand out like an old song. I want to yeah. hold your hand definitely sounds like an old rock and roll song, but I think because of that, it gets ignored yeah. just the underlying architecture of it, the, the energy of it, the John's lead vocal is incredible. I think it gets underappreciated. And I think it's unique. I I think of this of all of the early Beatles hits. It's unique for it is they wrote songs completely at this time. They were not mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. fractured pieces that got improved in the studio. They built I Want to Hold Your Hand to like elevate them. They built it yeah. to become famous on. Same with She Loves You. I almost picked She Loves You. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and all the early singles. Um, Which you prefer. I think she loves you is more fun, but I think I want to hold your hand is more interesting as a piece of songwriting. Mm-hmm. I think she loves you. Is, I mean, look, they're both, you're picking between a diamond and a Ruby in <laughs> my opinion, but like she loves you is almost so much of a, a snowball rolling forward, it's relentless true. thing. Joy. Yeah. There's a little yeah. bit of restraint and I want to hold your hand uh, that I think is cool. It's a little bit more mid temp. I don't know. They're both amazing. Uh, but I think um, she loves you just as a like a, a newer, fresher narrative in it mm, than mm, mm. I want to hold your hand. And that might be the difference or one big difference. The, I, I, when I listen to I want to hold your hand, I try to hear it as a new pop song from a group. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this obviously is the track that broke them out in America. Right. Yeah, and yeah. and of course, it was also a huge hit in England. Um and, you know, hit songs are special in their own way. The way they break through the noise of what's on the radio, there's something that they are speaking to the moment. Mm-hmm. You can say this about anything that has dominated, 
You can say this about Bad Guy by Billie Eilish, Hey Ya by Outkast, Hit Me Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. I know that Beatles fans might not necessarily agree that I Want to Hold Your Hand goes in the bucket with these songs, but they all are things that broke out and just became earworms. This is the Beatles earworm. Like, that didn't happen to uh, Across the Universe, um, you know, or Sexy Sadie or something. Cooler songs. This Mm -hmm. one penetrated out and took over and it fascinates me that opening like dun 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 great dun, intro. dun 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 great intro it's so think... fun and it's hard charging and it's 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 the <gasps> it it's a young guys full of energy and ambition wow. and they're sick of being poor and I they want to the be rock claps, stars the hand claps in that song make it so it's so easy to visualize in a movie like a that thing you do style yeah movie yeah, yeah of like right. someone that comes on and they're like tapping their finger on the counter not even aware of how much they're digging this song or you know what i mean something <laughs> yes yes the yeah. hand something claps are so catchy and and it makes it happy and, and there's something about yes, that, that exactly just it's make so it joyous you know they are you know we've talked about how the get back documentary revealed how much love they still had despite the sort of talking point of that era being that they're sad but this is real unbridled joy, just like um, yeah. nobody would even think to characterize it as anything but like people on the way up. Yeah. And yeah. it's the Beatles loving being in the Beatles. They don't, they're not, the competition has not yet started in terms of who gets what credit. It's both John and Paul singing the whole time. It's using every lesson they've learned in their short little recording career. You know, the the minor turn that they used in yeah. From Me to You, <laughs> the... um the same uh, chord progression uh, that they would use. I can't even remember. Brett, you might, you might be able to speak better to it, but like even just thrown in a little B seven that they probably learned from like uh, in Hamburg from whatever the guy's name was that they did my Bonnie with, I think mm, Sheridan. Was yeah. It? Sheridan. I think Sheridan mm-hmm. was always, I think I read in something that Sheridan said, use more sevenths boys. It makes it more bluesy or something, but <laughs> there's some, there's, there's some shut up, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> um, this song is a peak in a way that I get so happy. Every time I hear it, I never get tired of it. Uh, it's, Al Green, when he started recording, this was the first song he recorded and released it as a single because his manager was like, we need a hit. This song's a hit. Mm. I think it's interesting to think about this song if it had different lyrics, because I think the reason sometimes it's just sort of waved away or almost dismissed is just because of the corniness of the hook. You know, I want to hold your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, you know, the sort of the the sort of macho way of like listening to music or something it's you know? corny I'm, yeah i'm not gonna be caught you know singing that lyric of or course something. i, but I like, hear that just musically purely musically if you just had the exact same energy and delivery and everything with different lyrics i think it's an interesting thought experiment i think we would think very that, differently about i want to play in the sand it's actually <laughs> yeah yeah you fixed it joe you fixed it <laughs> that's I, much yeah. much less innocent than exactly it wouldn't sound right. so dated as i want to hold your hand yeah but well, uh, I, I think I you think know it's, it's it's a cool sounding song like it's like it's heavy yes. actually like that intro the, you put it was, out the intro yeah. is like big it's almost dangerous also yeah. right they don't yeah. do a lot of fast up-tempo songs in the whole back half of their career. They basically discover marijuana and like chill out forever. Uh, okay, wait, Helter Skelter, notwithstanding, but like <laughs> the you know the song that created heavy metal, notwithstanding. But um, <laughs> they, that was Paul's Coke period. 
I can just I also love John's Paul's... vocal. I think John's vocal. Oh, go ahead, Katie. Oh, just Paul's Paul. like it, be, uh, probably this is just because they played it on the Ed Sullivan show, but just I can picture Paul's little floppy hair and when he's doing <laughs> yeah, yeah, those yeah. falsetto. <laughs> yeah. Is this the, one of the few? Are they this? This might be an illusion, but are they not harmonizing for that? Are they just basically saying the same line? Oh yeah, I tell you something. Yeah, I didn't know there was a lead from John. I thought it was them all the way through. But it I might yeah. be them all the way through. But I I just picture John as the lead. I don't know Pretty why John John's so voice exciting. gives a, a heft to me. Like yes. I think John yeah. could sing a otherwise childlike sounding song and give it like an appetite. Edgy. Yeah, like yeah, he's a little edgier. Paul, yeah. they're singing in unison, but when Paul breaks out to that Ooh, super yeah. high so harmony. Good. That See, that's what Paul does. Paul gives the different thing. I think you're right. That John gives it like an edginess, but I think that Paul's harmonies always give it that jolt of yes. energy. You know? the, the bridge with Paul's high harmony thrill. is so insanely oh, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um and what a downshift. Like that they were brave enough to do that. Yeah, and it kind of like the drums, it gets a little less busy and that sonically, it yeah. gets just slightly quiet before it explodes again. Um, and I think the corniness, Brett, you're absolutely right. It'd be interesting to think about if less, I don't know, however you put it, corny lyrics, but I want to borrow a grand. Thank you, Joey. And once again, yeah. another genius alt from the doctor. Um, <laughs> doctor alt. I think it, it just sounds I have a stated. gland. Yeah, there you go. Because of like, <laughs> what if that hit? Wouldn't that be? <laughs> Remember, where were you on Ed Sullivan when you heard? I want to. I got a swollen gland. I have a swollen gland. <laughs> Imagine that high like, harmony on that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. I think it's just dated because of how romantic. Like it's like a song being like, I'd like to take you on a date with a chaperone. Like, yes, yeah, right, yeah, right, that's right. basically it. Yeah. yeah. When they they definitely were not like that at that time, but maybe that was a severed both. hand that they were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I do think that a lot of pop songs need something that's a little corny or uncool or trying too hard, ironically, to make it sound less precious and more immediate and like, look, this isn't for the ages. This is for you now and to enjoy. I think like uh, I read like for baby love and Motown, like they had that whole song written and then Barry Gordy wanted like the little baby baby thrown in. He wanted something to make it sound more baby, disposable. Baby. Ironically would make it longer lasting strangely. Um, and I think the hand claps and I want to hold your hand both cheapen it, but also make it fun yeah. and light and I think it unpretentious. Makes it so immediately accessible too. Yeah. Of like mm. the first time you hear the song, you could listen to two measures and then you could clap along with the hand claps. I just I love the song and I just think it doesn't get its due. To me, it's top five Beatles songs, uh, not just because it's historically important. I I mean I want someone to do it now. I want yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. somebody to cover it now and make it work again. I believe that it's in the bones of the song. Post Malone, where Post are Malone, you? Post Malone, do it. I'll get it. <laughs> I'll get it. Perfect for appealing to teens too. Yeah. Um, both for the time period, but I also feel like now it sounds like a song that could be like a breakout hit of a teen Disney person or something. Yeah, but that to me makes it interesting. Like that, it's almost every future pop entity is in this song somewhere. Uh, you know, and from obvious boy bands like NSYNC, One Direction, stuff like that. But just, I don't know. I love it. And but see, I think it's like more, again, the music of it is more like rock and roll than that almost gives it credit to in some ways. Like, 
I, yeah, I love this argument. I love this story yeah, we're telling. It's like you could, uh, yeah. It's just the lyrics are what makes it, and it's impossible to separate it. Dylan now. Dylan has an interview that this was the first Beatles song you heard. He was in the car, and that he thought that they they were saying, "I can't, I get high." Not, yeah, I yeah. can't hide. He thought they were mm-hmm. saying, I get high, I get high. He's like, wow, how are they getting away with he was like, talking yeah. about pot? <laughs> um, but I think I can't hide is like just slightly more vulnerable and interesting. Yeah. Not in a way that yeah. I, I don't think they were calculating that, but just John and Paul's instincts were just just always slightly a little bit deeper than necessary for the job in a way that made them interesting. I also love that it's a John and Paul song. This is not a you know writing wise. It's them eyeball to eyeball in Jane Asher's house writing a song together. Yeah, this I, is a I, as a Beatles fan, I can feel it. It's John and Paul united in a in yes. a, with full power. It also it, it strikes me as like one of those songs that is um uh it's like it's the Beatles defined in every way. Like there's not you don't hear it in terms of its influences and stuff. Like they don't, they don't yeah, sound like true. they don't sound like the band that's kind of doing Buddy Holly mixed with a little Roy Orbison. Exactly, this is the Be- this they is sound the like pure. Yes. It's just the sound that only it's the Beatles new. can make. It doesn't even sound like other British bands. You know, it's, it's worth just- going. Yeah, it, doing that mind experiment of like just trying to th- put yourself in a place where you've never heard something like this before, and all of a sudden it just pops out of the radio, and you're like this band's going to change everything. Oh my not God. To, not this... to mention how good it is musically, the harmonies they're do- I mean, They're just every little trick that they've honed is just coming out. Like it's no big deal, you know? Yeah. Harmonies and a great little lead. Is this the most Beatles song ever? It, you can make oh, it so definitely great. Argument. Definitely an argument for that one. Yeah. And the one thing that the early Beatles songs have on the later ones is it's all of them. You know, it's, it's, you know, as beautiful as Hey Jude is, you don't, that's a Paul song, you know, that's. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. This is Paul yeah. and John, and it's it, all of them. George's lead, Ringo's drums. Woo, baby. It's good. We want to so be your band. We want to be your band. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not a hidden gem, but I do think maybe uh, the, the, no, kind, the beauty yeah. of it has been kind of overshadowed, ironically, by later, more modern-sounding Beatles tracks. And like you were saying, Diana, even She Loves You, it sort of over, overshadows it, Yeah, I think. Yeah. And but yeah. I'm, I'm glad we spent the time on this one. Now, all of a sudden, we've discovered this is the most Beatly Beatles song ever. It's perfect. Mm. Yeah. And it is it is the two of them. So they wrote it together in, in um, Jane's basement. There's a lot of fond memories, like John Lennon in that yeah, yeah, yeah. Rolling Stone interview when he ripped apart everything. He still wouldn't rip this song apart. He's like, I, I love that. I want to do that song again. Yeah. Uh, he, he talks about said, when Paul put the B7 hold at the end. They looked up at each other like, oh, that's it. That's it. That's how we're yeah, going to yeah, yeah. come around to the ending again. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And then later, you know, when he was talking to Playboy in 1980, he said, we wrote a lot of stuff together one on one, eyeball to eyeball, like in I Want to Hold Your Hand. So he tells that same story here. That was them staring at their eyeballs and saying, can we just hold hands for a little bit? Like, <laughs> Tired of because the I, get yeah. I get high. <laughs> but yeah, then, I get high. But then, that must be where I'm remembering it from, Diana. That quote. I love that quote in that interview. Yeah, and that's when that's when he admits that he was like, "Oh yeah, I was totally lying in Rolling Stone. We did write a lot together." You know, which which is oh, so really? sad. Yeah. Because he totally admits he was complete. He said, "I felt upset." And I forget the exact quote, but he was like, "I felt upset," and you know, I, I just felt that way. It wasn't true. And it, yeah. it's so sad that he admitted that it wasn't true at all, mm. but that's still believed, you know? Yeah. 
because Paul's really pushed this story of a lot of songs were written, if not together, they were large contributors to each other's songs. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Oh, and I found this quote from Paul from 2004, and it says here, the thing about me and John is that we were different, but we weren't that different. I think Linda put her finger on it when she said me and John were like mere images of he must each have, other. must have heard when Will said that before. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I was going to say, even down to how we started writing <laughs> Somebody together. Somebody smart said it. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> then again, my other. fact checker's pointing out that I have said it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm not these fact checkers. <laughs> Anyways, he ties it exactly to facing each other eyeball to eyeball exactly like a mirror that's how songs like I want to hold your hand were written I love so it there you go I love it that's, love it that's my hidden gem one of the most <laughs> famous songs in the history of pop And that concludes part one of my discussion with the crew from Screw It, We're Just Gonna Talk About the Beatles podcast. Part two will be out in two days on Thursday, January 23rd, so please stay tuned for that episode. I will now leave you with a little teaser of where we pick up on Thursday. Until then, take care. Bye for now. W.